And this morning, I've invited one of our city partners, Denver Dream Center, to come and share what God is doing through them. And what they do is, is they reach people who are, um, well, have been in maybe gangs or they've been imprisoned or just people that are down, down on their luck, kind of the people that Jesus would, would minister to. Um, and that's the people that they, they minister to. So I've invited uh, Pastor B, as he's known, Pastor Brian, to come and share what uh, God is doing through the Denver Dream Center and to invite us to be part of that. So I'm going to grab your mic here. Um, just a couple quick moments. One, man, thanks Pastor Matthew and Hills Church for what you're doing, right? We get excited and it's a distinct honor and privilege when we get to see what the local church is doing and we love church plants and we know it's a hard journey. So, um, do you guys know that you have an amazing leader? Can you give it up for your pastor? <laughs> we celebrate six months at this place. We were talking earlier before it started because we had gone through church planting back in the day, my wife and I, and we've got three little boys and um, the early phase of church planning, you know, when you're up front worshiping, and you're even worse because you're, you're like looking out. But I remember sitting in the front and like eyes closed, like, Lord, please, when I turn around, let there be people in here. And um, just watching that grow. And so everybody part of making this happen, um, you're doing phenomenal. It excites us to know that God's alive and moving in this community. And we get to be a part of that. My wife and I moved here. Yeah, you can clap one more time. Um, my wife and I moved here, oh gosh, a little over 11 years ago now from, from L.A. And this interesting long journey of, of, anybody ever have a plan where you thought maybe you knew what was going to happen and then it didn't and it went a completely different direction? Um, that was sort of our life from thinking church planting and Sunday morning church to now doing the Denver Dream Center. Um, a million components to make that happen that we could share with you that are so God and just the relationships and the moments and all those things that brought it in. But our, our passion, literally our tagline is to rescue people, um, to rebuild, and to restore dreams. And so we try to get into the nitty-gritty. Uh, we spend a lot of time in correctional facilities and the housing projects, on the streets. Um, but we're seeing God not just reach those that are in crisis and in poverty, but um, pro-athletes and, and um you know, business owners and sort of across the board, this, this moment now that God is moving through the Dream Center. So what we love is being able to partner with um, local churches like this because we know that we're, we're better together, right? And they're, they're shared resources and um, brother that prayed, um, you know, about the, being the city on the hill, Right and going in, whether you're in in the art district or you know your your neighborhood community center, wherever it is, you know we we get Pastor Matthew only a couple of times over playing basketball with us, but we love the sports venue of reaching in to to serve people and and what we've seen from um, just sort of grassroots figuring out right one of our taglines is see a need meet a need and God where's the gap so that we can jump in and fill and uh, my staff a couple of years ago gave me a machete. Um, because we talk about being machete carriers, and it works as a great deterrence, you know, when you get in trouble. But um, we talk about carrying machetes because we want to blaze trails, right? We want to do what nobody else is doing so that we can reach you nobody else is reaching. And over the years, we started, one of the first guys I met when I moved here had gotten out of prison in trouble, landed in community corrections in a halfway house. I didn't know anybody at that point in my life in Colorado. So I started spending time in the correctional facility, got to know him, got to know his case manager. His case manager was a Christian, asked me if I would make it a men's group, and that just sort of blew up from there. 
that now fast forward 11 years later, we, we joke around, but my cell phone had been sort of the entry point for everybody. Just say, hey, they call me Pastor B. Here's my number. If you need something, call me. Um, now we've calculated that probably over 5,000 inmates in the state of Colorado have my cell phone number. Um, don't highly recommend that. Um, that's just sort of the nature of the beast and where it took us. Um, but now what we love is we're in five facilities throughout the week doing men's groups, Bible studies. And um, January, February, March, and into the first week of April, we calculated last week that we've now served and connected and had classes or moments with 909 inmates already this year. Yeah, it's an incredible number that we step back and get blown away by what God's doing through that. We've seen, um, we do another program called Adopt-A-Block, which is one of those things that we love, and it's an easy way for you to come serve with us, but man, we can't wait to plug in and serve over here as well. Adopt-A-Block is really what it sounds like. You just adopt the block, right? You got to be consistent, and you've got to work hard to, like, if you're going to promise, fulfill that promise. Most of the neighborhoods we go into, we talk about how they're coming out of broken promises and broken relationships, and we did not want to be that faith community community that promised to provide a service or bring something and then um, we couldn't be consistent and we wouldn't show back up. And so we started in a couple of specific neighborhoods and we've seen that grow um, to where, again, the first couple of months of this year, we've given away over 8,000 items, whether it's work boots or bags of clothes or bags of groceries or whatever it might be, um, serving in the neighborhoods. We're right now full-time in Quick Newton Housing Projects, at Westridge Housing Projects, and then some other neighborhoods. Um, and we love seeing what God does through that. And it's such a simple way that um, it's not complex or crazy, right? I mean, you honestly, popcorn sort of your calling card. So you just, right, you keep showing up with popcorn and you keep serving, but you build this relationship. And then once people know that you're not going anywhere and you keep coming back, then trust is established. And now that conversation, and you never know what someone's going through. Um, and we see God move through that like crazy. Uh, we're also really excited. One of our pastors posted just uh, a couple days ago that in the first three months, we've seen 259 people make a decision for Christ this year. And, um, yeah, that's one that you can give God a big hand for. So we love all those moments, and, and really what we're excited about is this journey that God's brought Hills Church into, where you're going, and that we, we get to be a part of that. Um, whether it's coming here and, and serving with you, or you plug into events or moments that, that we're doing, but collectively that we get to be the body of Christ. And here's how we pray. We, we pray all the time that God will give us impact and that God will give us influence. And so we love to share the numbers of people coming to Christ and volunteers that show up. Last year in 2017, we had just over 6,000 volunteers serve with us in the city. Um, December alone, we took care of, um, gosh, what was it, uh, couple thousand kids in our, yeah, so, yeah, it was over 2,000, almost 6,000 kids. We took care of almost 6,000 kids in December. Those numbers just sound crazy to me when I say it out loud. Um, in all these moments, but we not only want to have impact, but we pray that God will give us influence. Um, again, is that prayer of going back into the art district, wherever God has taken you. And, and it's taken years for us to get to this point where now we see that um, we spend a lot of time with the mayor and the mayor's office. We spend a lot of time with um, Robert White, our Denver police chief, and Denver police department. We have relationships and, and working agreements with Denver Parks and Rec and Denver Housing. And so we've been this, this group that's been able to leverage this relationship to let this city know. Because if I just be really candid, I was... So what I call like, a, I don't know, a regular pastor for a long time in Florida, California, and I got here. But when I started meeting with people that were planted in the city, there's almost this disconnect from the city asking the faith community to serve and be a part of solutions, right? And we know that there's issues, whether it's gangs or violence or poverty or homelessness or whatever that exists around us. And for me, I think it's a disservice that the faith community is not on the front line, getting asked to be a part of that and be a part of the solution. 
And so we've tried to leverage this ability to just use one word. We just want to serve. And how can we serve? And how can we serve? And to where now the city will call us and say, hey, here's a, a project. Can you guys help facilitate this? We got a call um, in November last year that the mayor, or the uh, city attorney's office wanted to do some kind of an outreach thing. And we're talking about some of the most stuffy, sorry if you're in that world, but all right, we're talking people that they wouldn't mark on presence that they were rapping if they were boy and girl because they'd be gender neutral. We're like, come on, like, right? It's a, it's a city attorney's office. And so we took over 700 presents. The mayor came and we had all the city attorney's office and paralegals wrapping presents to go get back out into the community. And so we've been in this place now where they're calling us for help and assistance and uh, um, a situation with um, Denver Police Department, the resource center. They needed um, somebody to help clean up this um, elderly lady's house because she was about to be evicted, uh, had gone through a horrible tragedy no one would step up so we sent a team over roll away dumpsters they cleaned it we get a uh, in email a month later and and didn't know a lot of the process out of that and they're like pastor we just want you to know there were like 20 of the top agencies in the city gathered together sharing all the horrible stories and things going on in our city they're like does there anybody have a positive moment and so they shared about the dream center stepping up to help this lady now she can age in her house she got saved in that moment and so god's moving through all those moments and we get to be a part of that and so thank you for what you do um, and I love it, right? Like, there's so many unanswered questions, and it's sort of the fun way to live. Like, every day is faith. Like, God, I don't know what it's going to look like and where we're going, um, but we stand right with what Joshua heard God say in, in Joshua chapter 1. Wherever you set your foot, right, I'm going to expand your territory, and I'm going to give it all to you and be strong and courageous. And so I do want to do this real quick because we love the power of testimony. And, and one of our guys who's been with us now for eight years, one of my best friends that um, we met in a random moment um, in a correctional facility, and uh, I sort of told him, man, I can get you out of here on a Sunday to go to church. Even if it's just to see your girlfriend, he's like, bro, I don't know who you are, but I'm down for that. And, um, and God worked through his life. So he's a Denver native. And he's going to real quick, I mean, his story is about four hours long. So I told him you got like 40 seconds to say how I went up and what God's done. Amen. God is good, right? All the time. Amen. Amen. Uh, my name is Mark. I grew up, born and raised here in East Denver. And... Uh, Man, I am the fruit. I am the fruit of someone's prayer. I'm the fruit uh, of prayer answered, you know, and I thank God for that. Uh, I've been shot three times. I've been stabbed three times. Uh, I had a life sentence. I served over uh, 13 years in prison. And you know what? God opened the door for me, and uh, it, was, it was time. You know, I, I, as a man, I had failed. I had failed miserably at being a dope dealer, at being a gangbanger at being everything else that this world had threw at me that said that it was okay to be. And, and you know what? I met Pastor Brian, and it's crazy. On, on a Sunday, random, uh, I ended up in a halfway house, and he was like, hey, I could get you out of here. And it was like, all right, cool. Let's go. I'm down. Let's, I'm, hey, you making moves. Let's make it happen. I'm, let's, let's do it. And it took me all of eight weeks sitting outside of the church to hear a song that spoke to my soul and told me it was time to surrender. You know, I, I am that fruit, that Jesus, that sweet fruit. And, and I thank God for that, you know, because all the hurt, all the pain, it, it, it mounted away. It didn't even matter because he said that his plans are for us, to prosper us and not to harm us, but to see us move forward. And it was from that moment on that I gave my life to God. And, and, and in that moment, I was born again. 
And I was given that opportunity as a new creature to tell you right now, to be here, to stand here and tell you, you know what, I am a pastor. To tell you I am a father. To tell you I'm a prominent business owner. To tell you that, you know what, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a man of God. That I am a child of God. That I have been redeemed. And, there, and there's nothing else. Amen. Amen. Because God is good. Because God is good. Because God is good. His mercies are new every day. His mercies are new every day. And I get to pour life into my daughter. And I get to show her. And I get to show other people that are going through corrections. I am that fruit. I get to speak life into men that are coming out of prison that don't know, that are coming out of a world of hate, out of darkness, out of, out of, out of lies and bondage. That you know what? Like, let me, let me tell you what God can do for you. Let me tell you how he can set you free. Let me tell you the power of his blood. God is good. And that's, that's, I got to give it to you and I got to keep it short and sweet. But you know what? Like, I look forward to each and every one of you, like, just meeting you and, and just, like, you know what, connecting with you guys as, 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 a, as a team now. Thank you, guys. God bless. Amen. So, yeah, we just want to encourage you. Big Mark, Pastor Mark, is, is just one of literally countless stories now that, that God has given us. And so whatever you're going through, whatever situation you're connected to, that's what we love is that we get to do this together. Speaking to people's lives, share those resources. We've got some more of our team here, Jen, Sharon, and Jen are over here as well, just hanging out with us today. Um, but can I do this? I'm going to turn it back over. But I just want to pray for, for your pastor, for you as a church, that God would just take you to a whole other level of what he's going to do in this city. So, Father, we are beyond thankful to celebrate six months. But, Father, we know um, that we're just getting started. And, Father, for every life that's represented here, everyone's got a story of where you've brought them from and what you've brought them to. But, God, I pray now for just vision to see beyond, God, the weeks, the months ahead. And, and even though those questions are unanswered, God, with radical faith, we believe that there's going to be multiple services, God, that hundreds if not thousands of people are going to come to know you as their Lord and Savior. The impact and influence is going to happen in this neighborhood, God, and in our city because of Pastor Matthew, his family, this leadership in this church. So we pray your blessing over him and over this church in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said, amen. amen. Give it up for your pastors. Come back up. Well, in hindsight, I probably should have said uh, Big Mark preached this morning. You know what I'm saying? I could use more of that. And that's, uh, that's, why, we, that's why we do this for changed lives as well. And um, Thanks, you guys, for what you're doing. And if you, I would encourage you to check out uh, the Denver Dream Center, their, their website. They've got a table, some stuff in the back. They have, so the Adopt-A-Block happens uh, twice a month. Um, if they go to the same location, it's real simple to get plugged in there. Uh, on on uh, the first and third Thursday, they actually have a, a church service uh, that they do. And I've, I've been there, and it's a powerful, powerful time. So if you want to get involved with what what's they're doing, um, I encourage you to, to do that. They are one of the the ministries that we support financially on a monthly basis. So when we talk about the 20% that we're committed to giving right off the top from our, our offerings, uh, some of that goes to them every, every month. So you are a part of those stories. You are a part of that. And so thank you for your, your faithfulness. Uh, so for our remaining time that we have this morning, I just want to share briefly, we started a new sermon series called New, How the Gospel Makes Everything New. And 
I mean, that's proof right there. The gospel makes everything new. And last week we looked at how the gospel changes the way that we relate to the city. And um, we looked at the people of God in the Old Testament. They had gone into exile and the prophets, the false prophets were saying, move into the city. Uh, no, they're saying stay out of this city and, and keep your identity. Keep your spiritual identity. Don't engage. The Babylonians were saying, oh, come on in. Love the city. Be just like us. Lose your identity. Lose your spiritual identity. And then Jeremiah comes along and gives a third way. says, move into the city and keep. Move into the city and keep your spiritual identity. And that's what we chatted with last week. And we said, if God cares about cities, then he cares about Denver, and so should we. And so for us, then, we engage the culture and keep our spiritual identity. We serve and love our city. We work for the good of those who are not living in a right relationship with God. And as, as Jeff mentioned, as Pastor B mentioned, and I have a conviction that we cannot do this by ourselves. Like individually, we don't have the agency, we don't have the resources, we don't have the know-how, we don't have the skills to come in and, and do this by ourselves. And even uh, as a church, we are, we are not going to change Denver. But when we partner together with, with people like the Denver Dream Center and with Cross Purpose and, and others and other churches, like God has something in store for this city. Uh, and we get to be part of that. The gospel changes everything. And the, the gospel changes our hearts and our motivations. And I don't know if you've ever imagined what it would be like to be a Christian in the first century, where no one knew anything about Christianity. And so you have a, a Christian, and he's talking with with his neighbor, and the neighbor finds out that he's a, a Christian, and he's like, "Oh, you're," he was like, "Oh, you're religious. Tell me about your your religion. Uh, where where is your temple?" And the Christian's like, "Well, we we don't have a temple. Well, well, you don't have a temple, but where do the priests? Where do they where do they do their sacrifices? Where do they do their work so that you can be right with God? So you can." And the the Christian's like, "We don't have priests who mediate between us and." And God, it's Jesus is the one. We don't have a place that we have to go. And, and, and I could just see this, this Roman uh, citizen being like, ah, I just don't understand that type of religion. And, and the Christian might even be like, well, you know, when you put it that way, Christianity is really not so much a religion in the way that other religions work um, because of, of Jesus and because of how it changes our hearts and we think about how we can relate to God, there's two ways that we think about when we re- relate to God. One is we follow God, we do his will, um, we, we try, to, to live, try to live right. Another way is that uh, we try to relate to God. Well, we'll put them up there. I've got three ways. It'll just be, be simple. Three ways that we, either religion, that's trying to be really, really good to earn God's favor. Irreligion, that's like, ah, just do whatever I want, it doesn't really matter, I'll be my own God. And then gospel is what we'll, we'll finish with. But the, the religious person, and we're going to look at, um, if you want to turn your Bibles, the book of Luke, Luke chapter 18, in, in just a moment. But the, the religious person, they work incredibly hard to be good and to obey God's law. And, and by doing that, they actually avoid God as Savior, the religious person, because they're trying to be their own Savior. And even people who don't claim a religion often live this way. Like, if there is a God, I'm pretty good, and if I die, I'm sure I'll be all right. Like, that's the religious, moral type person. The irreligious person, that's the person that just lives however they want. Like, eat, drink, be merry. I had a, uh, a friend 
where we lived in, in Summit County, and we played basketball together, and he'd come over to the house and have meals, and he had just had a birthday, so I was asking, hey, how was your birthday? He said, well, I ended up, when I woke up, it's <laughs> a good story here, when I woke up, I was on top of a washer and dryer <laughs> that wasn't mine, and a condo complex where I didn't live. I didn't remember how I got there, I didn't have my identification, and I was naked. So I, so I was like, what, is that a good birthday? Like, I don't know. <laughs> when you're talking about, so when we're talking about irreligious, like that is easy to see someone living, how, right? You can see that. But when it comes to, to gospel and religion, sometimes it can look the same on the outside, right? Because it's a, it's a matter of the heart and the actions can look the same. And so we're going to break down what the difference uh, might be when it comes to the gospel and religion. So Luke chapter 18 chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. It'll be on the screen as well. So Jesus is having this conversation. And he said, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, a religious person, and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a, a Pharisee. Now Pharisees get a bad rap, but these were okay guys back in the day. They were the religious leaders. People looked up to them. And the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I've got. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, this Pharisee, he was a good man. I mean, he was generous to the poor. He was faithful to his wife. He prayed regularly. He fasted. Like, he did what the Bible told him to do. But look at his prayer. Like, usually when a prayer says, God, I thank you, what follows that is sometimes about God. God, the good things that you've done, but the rest of the prayer is all about himself. God, I thank you that I'm awesome. Like, that, that was basically his prayer. Um, and underneath the veneer of all the God talk and God activity and all the morality was just a worship of self, an adoration of self, confident in their own righteousness, Jesus says in verse 9, a self Righteous. When we say someone's self-righteous these days, it usually has a bad connotation. But it's just someone who's trying to be righteous on their own, without help from God. Self-righteous. And one test to see if you're operating with religion in your heart or gospel in your heart is how you respond to the irreligious, to those maybe outside the faith, to those who, who don't live like you. Because the, um, the Pharisee, he is cold-hearted toward the irreligious. Right? Judgmental. And if we have been, I mean, if the gospel has really gotten down in our hearts and we understand the gospel that I am a, a sinner saved by grace, right? It, it gets rid of the, the superiority feeling that I have, superiority complex that Christians can sometimes have. And it, it helps me not think I'm a better than someone else's culture, better than someone else's ethnicity, better than their socioeconomic level. And if I understand the gospel, you will treat others with hope. You will treat others with hope. I, and I've been guilty of this, of, of seeing someone's life, my friend who tells me this story on his birthday, being like, 
He had no hope for this guy. Right? But when I understand the gospel and what Jesus has done for me, I can see that there is hope for everyone else because I am not coming to God on the basis of my moral behavior. I'm coming on the basis of his grace. And the, the Pharisee, he understood righteous as being external. Like, I, I'm doing all, doing all the right things. And um, he didn't say, God, I'm thank you that I'm more patient than I used to be. God, I thank you that I'm uh, a gentler person. I'm able to love those I, I wasn't able to love before. I'm able to keep joy and peace in my life, even when my life is crumbling. It was external. And then he compared himself. He was thinking, oh, I'm, I'm so much, so much better. And one of the biggest complaints I hear about Christianity is its exclusive claims of Jesus, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty exclusive claim. And what happens... Uh, and so the argument is, if you believe there's only one way to heaven, then you're going to believe that you have the truth and other people don't. That's going to lead you to being a bigot, hating other people, because you have the truth and they don't, so you're gonna, it's going to puff you up a, a little bit. Uh, has anyone ever come across something like that? Like, they're all, how can you say there's one way to God? Uh, and I would have to say this is a valid argument, because I have met some superior type Christians who look down on people because they have the truth. And God help us not to be like this Pharisee as, a, as individuals, as a church, to not just look at externals and compare ourselves. Because if you're like the Pharisee, always comparing yourselves, you're always going to find someone that, that's a worse sinner than you are. I mean, that's, that's easy. But this tax collector, I mean, Jesus paints this picture um, of this, and I can just see this broken individual, like not even looking to heaven, just coming before God. God, I don't, I don't know where, everyone, when it, where anyone else is. I'm not better than anybody. God, have mercy. Have mercy on me, the sinner. Have mercy on me, the sinner. And in uh, the version that we read, it says a sinner. But in the Greek, there's actually a definite article there, which means there's a the. Like, he doesn't see himself as just one of a number of sinners. Like, I am the sinner, God, have mercy on me. And then Jesus does something. So we have this good, upstanding, moral, church-going, tithe-paying guy. He's a good, good guy, praying. And then we got this tax collector. And tax collectors, they were the worst of the worst. Like, they were conspiring with the enemy. They were, I mean, worse than our own tax collectors, if you, you can believe that. Um, I did get an extension last Sunday. I'm almost done. Um, and Jesus says, who went home justified before God? Who was righteous before God? And it wasn't the good man. It was the one who was broken before God and, and didn't come to God and say, God, I, I, you, know, I'm, you know, I've been pretty good. Just let me, let me come in. And um, there's, I have a handout for you. You guys want to help me? We're going to move ahead and... and got something I want you to take home to look over. We'll go over it briefly. And uh, this handout, it, on one side it's going to talk gospel, and the other side it's going to say religion. Because they, they look the same, but, um, but there's some, some differences. And I'll wait for you to get that, then we'll, we'll look at it together. And see, when we understand the gospel, we repent not just of the bad stuff we've done, but we repent of even the good stuff or the reason we've done the good things, because a lot of times the reason we've done the good things is to earn God's favor. So saving 
repentance is asking God to forgive us not only of the bad things, but of the good things, the reason we did the good things. So you'll see what we're talking about when you get this, this paper here. But what is the language of your heart? Is it, I obey, therefore I am accepted by God? That's religion. Or is it irreligion, I don't have to obey anyone but myself? Or is it gospel, I am accepted by God at infinite cost to Jesus, therefore I obey? The religious only repent of their sins, the irreligious don't repent at all, and Christians repent of both their sins and their self-righteousness. So just briefly, as you get that in, in your uh, hands there, just want to go through this chart and then we will conclude this morning. So religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Gospel, this is on your chart there. I'm accepted, therefore I obey. It's a complete different motivation of our hearts. Religion says motivation is based on fear and insecurity. Gospel, its motivation is based on grateful joy. Religion, I obey God in order to get things from God. But gospel is, I obey to get God, to delight in and resemble him. Religion says, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I am angry at God or myself. Mm. Religion. Since I believe that anyone who is good deserves a comfortable life. And this, this is huge. I have seen people walk away from God when things went poorly and they got mad at God. Right? We've all known, you might have been that person at one point or another, where something happens, you lose a loved one, and it just doesn't seem, and we get mad at God because they were following God, so they should have gotten something good. That's religion. Gospel, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I struggle. All right, so it's not like we're saying life is, you just put on a smile. But I know all my punishment fell on Jesus, and that while God may allow this for whatever purpose, he will exercise his fatherly love within my trial. We'll just look at two more. When I'm criticized, whoo, when was the last time you were criticized? How did you, yesterday, all right, can I get a witness? When I'm criticized, I am furious or devastated because it is critical that I think of myself as a good person, right? And, and when you're criticized, isn't that an attack on your person, like on who you are at a, a deep level? And we, we attack back, Gospel says, when I am criticized, I struggle, but it is not essential for me to think of myself as a good person. My identity is not built on my record or my performance, but on God's unconditional love for me in Christ. And the last one we'll look at, and the other ones will be homework. All right, keep it with you. Religion says, my prayer life consists largely of petitions. That means just asking God for a lot of things. And it only heats up. I only pray more when I'm in a time of need. And my main purpose in prayer is control of my environment. Well, gospel, my prayer life consists of generous stretches of praise and adoration. My main purpose for prayer is to be in fellowship with God. Can you start to see the difference between how gospel is lived out in our hearts as opposed to religion? is lived out in our hearts. And on the, same, on the surface, it looks all the same. And as, as believers, you, we can have genuine faith and still our hearts revert back to operating out of religion. That is just the default mode of our heart, trying to live to justify ourselves. That's, that's what we do. And so we have to continually come back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We continually come back and we remind ourselves that Jesus died on the cross for us. Charles Spurgeon 
And I'll conclude with this. Najee, if you want to come up. Um, Charles Spurgeon was a England's best-known preacher during the 1800s, and he, he shared a story to help us understand the difference between gospel and religion. He said, once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. He took it to his king and said, my liege, my lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or will ever grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. It's an act of worship. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as the man turned to go, the king said, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I, want, I own the plot of land next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman who was watching, and he thought, boy, if he gets that for giving the king a carrot, what would you get if you gave the king something more? And so the next day, the nobleman came before the king, and he was leading a handsome black stallion, and he bowed low and said, my liege, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse that I have or will ever have, and I give it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king... The king discerned the man's heart and said, thank you. And he took the horse and simply dismissed him. And the nobleman was perplexed. So the king said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. The gardener was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. And sometimes that's the way we treat God. Like, God, I've done this for you, so you have to do this for me. So, and God, I've, I've been... I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying, God, and, and life just is not going the way I want it to go. And Well, then all that you've been doing, all the Bible reading, all the giving, was for you and wasn't for God. So the gospel gets in. It makes all things new. It changes our hearts. It changes our motivations. And so we continually come back to the cross.